Hello there, Millennium Live listeners. Great to be back on the Millennium Live podcast. We have a great analyst partner with us today whose mission is to improve the world's healthcare through insights, collaboration, and transparency. He's the co-founder and CEO of Class Research, Adam Gale. Thank you for joining the podcast, man. Thanks, Connor. Thanks for having me again. Yes, uh, you were on about, uh, I think it would be at a June 2022 episode, and now we're talking just in time, Q4, here in 2023. So I want to jump right into it. As you mentioned the first time around, you know, you're used to talking with providers and payers and getting their genuine insights on really what's happening in the industry. As you've been going around, how has your year been, really, to, just to start things off? And perhaps what's the biggest surprise in the industry that you've seen since you were last on the Millennium Live podcast? You know, it's funny, I would say that I'd be expecting things to calm down a little bit. You know, you think about COVID, you think about some of the financial challenges, you think about the huge staffing challenges, nursing challenges that we've had. So I, I sort of expected things to calm down a bit this year. And I think the biggest surprise is likely that it doesn't feel like it's calmed down. It feels yeah. like things are continue to be a wild ride. And I think the people who are hoping things will get back to normal are going to be surprised that there is no there is no normal or or this is the new normal I guess you could say. Yeah. Talking about surprises, I think the biggest surprise to me is the sheer intensity of the financial distress that many hospitals are facing and I know that that many of them are starting to dig out of that, you know, they go from just losing a ton of money in 2022 to 2023, some of them are starting to just peak above that. And the intensity of that, you know, I talked to one hospital executive who said, look, we haven't lost money ever as a health system, at least in the 50 years that I'm aware of. And so this is our first time actually losing money as a health system. And we don't know how to deal with that, how to tackle that. And another health system executive who said, look, I've been at poor hospitals and now I'm at a fairly well-to-do hospital that we have to act like one of the poor hospitals like we have in the past. So I think that just is a belt tightening time, a focus on the basics time. And for some people, that's great. And some people, that's been a pretty big challenge. That's interesting. And perhaps that, that, is, that is rather surprising. I want to touch upon some of the, the points that you mentioned, Adam, but um, I want to talk about trends and what are some of the healthcare IT trends that you've seen happen over the course of the last year, or let's just say become top priorities uh, this year and probably will be for the near future. I know that everybody's talking about AI and advancements there, perhaps wearable tech. I know I think we touched upon that last the last podcast. Yeah. We always have automation and, and cybersecurity becoming a priority. So Adam, what, what have you seen out there this year? Well, I think the biggest challenge continues to be staffing. So even though it feels like some of the nurse staffing is a little bit improved, I think staffing in rev cycle, staffing in IT, staffing in other areas has not necessarily gotten any better. And so that's where some of that automation, I think, starts to help. The mm. obvious big trend that just sort of hit us in the face this year is generative AI. I still think back seven years ago when I think it was you know leader from IBM that spoke at HIMSS that sort of like kicked off the AI revolution. And then the next year at, uh, at HIMSS, everybody had AI plastered all over their booth, but nothing that I could tell that was was real AI in any way. So it feels like things are real. All of a sudden, you have varying levels of confidence in health system executives in AI because of that, I'll call it a false start seven years ago. And you know, you look at different ways that's being used. You know, if if 
people that participated at Epic's user group meeting saw that they're going to use it for the inbox, helping uh, physicians just have the beginning of, of letters back to folks in their inbox. But it's going to be used in so many, so many ways. Let me, let me list a few others. I've seen clinical diagnoses. I've seen helping with safety, you know, AI that ties to some of the security systems that are out there. It's an opportunity to make a real shift. And I think not just a cute buzzword this time. I mean, if it took seven years, who knows what the next seven years will bring in, <laughs> in, in AI. Kind of a, a follow-up question to that is, um, you know, where you see the most energy in this use of technology that's going to improve the patient's experience in the upcoming years? Because overall, you're focused on health outcomes and making informed decisions for, for treatment plans. That's, that's what you want out of this. So where does that energy lie? Well, I hate to say it, but I think we have not made the the progress that we would have hoped to have made on the patient experience side. I think we're still trying to figure out how to engage patients in ways that they want to be engaged rather than ways that we want them to engage. I still chuckle at uh, you know the texts that come to me that say, hey, you've got a, an appointment tomorrow. Would you like to reschedule? And if I can't make it, I say, yes, I'd like to reschedule. And they say, well, great, call our office and here's the phone number. <laughs> and uh, I mean, if you've ever tried to call a doctor's office, you know how difficult that can be. <laughs> so I think finding ways where the patients really get the value they are looking for. And I think we've found a few this year where we're starting to see that. One of those is patients that just don't know what to do. Like you, I mean, you don't feel confident going and checking your symptoms on Google because you find out you're you're probably going to die any day now. <laughs> but uh, there's some solutions that are really great or getting better at triage, you know, checking sick symptoms, guiding you what to do next. A vendor I ran into the other day called ClearStep, who's really started to make a splash on that front. And I think of my own self, you know, I feel fairly educated in healthcare and what's going on. A lot of times I don't know who to reach out to, or I don't know what the next step is for you know, one of my kids with a challenge they're facing. So there's a lot on the front end of, you know, finding information, finding a doctor, guiding to next steps. There's some AI and other tools that are being used to improve access. So that includes scheduling in a more thoughtful way, checking in for care in a more thoughtful way, and just some real tools there. There's some tools after your procedure. Another one I ran into recently called Seamless MD that helps, you know, look, now that I've had my procedure, I left the doctor's office, what do I do now? So it feels like these kind of things of what do I do? Where do I go next? How do I think about this? Should be some fairly effective tools for some of those folks. And, and a couple of others, Connor, if I can keep going with just a couple of others that yeah, I found interesting. You know, hospital at home, remote home monitoring, I think sounds like a cool idea, but just getting all the tools to work together has been a little bit of a struggle. Best Buy bought a company called Current Health that we're, we're hearing some good things from their customers around just that hospital at home concept and just actually tying the hardware and the technology together, which is why I think Best Buy makes an interesting partner there. And then maybe one last one is I've seen a lot more interest in measuring patient success and not just measuring that, but tying it into the clinician experience and the general employee experience at a health system. And several vendors working on, on tying those three things together, not just measuring them in a vacuum, but how does the experience of the clinician experience the success of the patient and so forth, which, which I think makes a lot of sense. I want to talk a little bit about vendors. I know a couple of the vendors that you just mentioned have partnered with Millennium 
either in the past or recently. Okay. Yeah. And uh, spe- specifically at ClearStep and Best Buy, you're seeing those two vendors at Millennium Conferences uh, this year. So that's cool. And you talked a little bit about the vendor acquisitions over the last couple of years in, in the last episode. Specifically mentioning, you've mentioned this already too, revenue cycle, patient engagement. What impact will these acquisitions have and will they have in the next you know, upcoming years? And how much more major M&A activity are you anticipating even the, for the rest of the year? Quarter's not done. Yeah. So if I were to look back on some of the biggest acquisitions over the last year, I think the biggest is probably Cerner being acquired by Oracle. And I think that's had a significant change in, in Cerner. I think a couple of of the positives, if I were to list those first, I think there's some international opportunity that uh, is very real for Oracle. I think lots of the international regions do not have great solutions. And so if they could have a hosted system by Oracle, if Cerner can, I'd say, simplify some of the things that need to happen internationally, I think that could be a reasonable solution. But you've also got some of the challenges of new owner new leadership, new revenue cycle play. And I think that leaves a lot of the big Oracle clients uh, wondering what to do next. So you see the big shift that's happened with Intermountain in the last couple of weeks, UPMC in the last few weeks, you know, announcing they're moving to Epic. So I think some of the big systems say, hey, I don't have time for that domestically, but I think internationally, there's probably some good opportunity. One of the other big ones was Optum acquiring change. That That is one that I think was not looked on very positively by customers before the acquisition. I think it's probably smoothed out a little bit since then. I think the bad news on that is I think change had some pretty good solutions that were acquired by Optum. I think Optum, if I were to quote one of their previous executives, they said, we shoot for the middle of the pack and tend to hit the bottom instead of shooting for the top and hitting the middle. So it does make me a little bit nervous for those change customers on what they should expect there as as Optum takes them over. A few other interesting ones, you know, Galen gets acquired by RL Datix. Allscripts gets acquired, NThrive acquires TransUnion on the revenue cycle side and then rebrands to FinThrive. So that ties into, I think, the desire for an enterprise kind of platform in the revenue cycle world. I see the theory there being great, but the the actual adoption is so slow of people adopting revenue cycle platforms. And a lot of that is because they can measure so closely their success. You don't want to just casually get into a platform where you have the third best collections tool that just that will not last very long. A lot of those, I think, have already had an impact. I think the biggest one that I'm curious what the impact will be is that Optum change one over time because they have acquired so many things. And Connor, you had asked about kind of transactions this year and kind of what we expect through the rest of the year. It has been so slow. Like it is the slowest I can ever remember, almost ever, I think. And I think the predictions are, hey, Q1, things will pick up. Q2, here we are, Q4. And I actually am starting to see an uptick. So I don't know if that's just a breeze blowing through or if that's a real uptick. But I've seen over the last few weeks, probably more requests from private equity firms, more vendor chatter of things. And and at some point, this stalemate will end. I know that there's a lot of dollars on the sidelines waiting to to jump in. But there's also a lot of sellers who saw the, the valuations 18 months ago, two years ago, and and still think still think those are real, even though they were you know, really out of this world. So feels like that dam may just be starting to break in terms of more M&A activity. Well, we'll see. It'll be an interesting topic to discuss uh, and, you know, keep an eye on. And, you know, when when you come back in 2024, hopefully we have something to talk about. And by the way, one of those that I think may help break the dam is Waystar 
who you know has announced that they're looking to go to go public a great a great company that's done a lot of good things on that revenue cycle platform front so i'm curious how that plays out and if that starts to lead the way to some other other MA activity yeah i agree continuing the the vendor chatter you know one of the interesting things about the first episode that you did with us is when we were talking about all the different technology solutions that are popping up in healthcare and how to vet them I think you talked a little bit about monitoring about 100 solutions out of about 2,500 different vendors. Yeah. I think this is great in what you're doing. What's been the progress about, you know, class helping healthcare organizations kind of understand which solutions are having the biggest impact, success, what they actually do? Yeah, it's interesting. It's a pretty daunting challenge as you talk about, you know, 2,000, 2,500 emerging technologies that could yeah. potentially have an impact. And we still have so many provider executives who just say to us, Adam, help me know which rocks to turn over because there's so many people knocking on their door with such funky names that they've never heard of. And, <laughs> and I don't blame them. Even I have to Google how to even spell the names of half of these companies <laughs> right. that, that, we, that we hear about. But, uh, but we've done something new. So let me share one of the things that we are doing. We have come out with a new report we call the Top 20 and it is a way of looking at emerging solutions to know, okay, which rocks to turn over. And we've done a couple of hundred now of these emerging technology reports to find out, you know, what does this solution actually do and how how well has it gone in those initial, you know, five to, to 15 first sites. And in addition, we've gotten a group of leaders together to just help, I'm going to say, judge the the potential impact meaning they're looking at the problems that these emerging solutions are solving and then helping us understand, you know, which of these are going to be the biggest problems or the biggest players they think in the next couple of years. So that's where we, we get 20 vendors. We're looking at the quadruple aim. So four areas, five vendors in each area that we're kind of sharing as leaders. And that gets us to 20 that we recognize. Let me share just a few from la this last year that we found that were interesting yeah, please do. Uh, one of those is Atlas Health that I'd never heard of. They connect patients to philanthropic aid. Basically, they you know help patients find money that's out there to help pay for their care. They won the award this last year for the top vendor in improving outcomes. A vendor named Avisure, not sure if you've heard of them, mm. but they uh, they utilize remote monitoring to increase patient safety. So that was the top the top one in terms of letting patients stay at home and reducing the cost of care. So the top one in terms of improving the patient experience was uh, Deliver Health. So they're essentially a digital front door. I know that can mean a lot of things, but essentially helping people find their way into the hospital. Like we talked about finding a doctor, doing all those things. And then the last winner of our, of our top 20 was in the improving clinician experience side. That was actually DAX from Nuance. So the ambient clinical uh, listening and intelligence. So that that I know has been highly anticipated. Physicians are actually able to focus on the patient when they're in the room rather than the computer. But but we're we're enthusiastic about measuring the very first sites here to hopefully sort through the the myth from the reality and give a sense of which ones are worth looking more deeply at. I mean, that's awesome. It's great to hear the uh, the progress, Adam. And this is a big topic. This is what you know, the C suite wants to know, and it's 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 one of those things. You know, how how do you come up with the right vendors and the right solutions for your pain points and problems. And I will say Nuance is a, is a, is a great partner, current partner with Millennium. So uh, they will definitely be at the, uh, the next couple upcoming assemblies. Great. I want to talk about something you mentioned at the start of the episode. It's something that has been 
definitely a major issue today and has been, which is clinician burnout. And I can imagine what you have to say on this because it's nurses, it's clinicians. And last year in the episode, we were talking about the great resignation and the rate that they were leaving. This is a loaded question. So I'll get, I'll, I'll break it down into some parts. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Has, has the trend only increased that more clinicians leave since we last uh, spoke? Or has it really kind of leveled off, perhaps, since we've moved further away from the pandemic? Yeah, yeah. What are some success stories that have perhaps, I know you would talked about those off-the-beaten-track health systems that have kind of uh, navigated this? Yeah. And lastly, what progress have you seen being made helping improve this clinician experience and the use of technology? Yeah, let me start first with what we're seeing in terms of burnout and then some of the tools and how people are attacking that. We actually have seen burnout increase over the last five years, but it feels like it plateaued mostly in 2022. So I'm curious to see, you know, as we have the measurements out for this year, what that looks like. But we're optimistic optimistic that at least we're stemming some of the tide. I think the most worrisome part in my mind is that as you have these people leave, clinicians leave, you know, the nurses left have to tackle, you know, all the same patients and additional load without those nurses and and doctors with some of the same challenges, that they're the ones that they remain, they have to carry a higher burden. They, They have some misalignment, some chaos in the system, and that that may increase the burnout again, unless we can get staffing back to to regular levels. So I think that's a challenge to these systems to get, you know, get to where staffing is at a, I'm going to say, quote unquote, regular level. And as I think about the role technology can play, we've got to be better at smoothing out the workflows, having tools that can help identify when documentation is being duplicated. And so that people don't feel like, oh my gosh, I'm wasting my time here. Tools that can assess the effectiveness of, of alerts. You know, essentially what we're trying to do is have clinicians that can go home and not worry about you know, lots of after hours work unless they actually want that. One of the things we've seen is using virtual nursing in pretty creative new ways. The biggest thing I've heard is folks working on discharge, like getting the patients out back out the door. Nurses that are on site can tackle the things that only they can do. And they can have some experienced nurses helping with the discharge and other other uh, tasks that you don't have to be there for. And some of those sites have found real real benefits and real real staffing improvements where, where the nurses feel like they can be doing the things they're supposed to be doing. As I think about programs that are making improvement, if you're an organization and you have a thoughtful approach where you're doing something, we see almost universal improvement where actually like the doctors and nurses come back the next year and say things are better. I think one of those things I'm surprised about is that adoption is low. Like people actually putting in the new programs is still pretty low. So I think people are just afraid to take time from physicians and nurses' clinical duties. And uh, and that's a little bit of a challenge today to go implement some of these programs that I think slowed down during COVID and uh, during the last year of financial belt tightening. Hopefully they will increase because the biggest mathematical thing that we've seen in terms of, of improvement, if you're an organization in our Arch Collaborative, and you've measured the success of your clinicians twice, you score 20 points higher, a negative 100 to 100 scale. You're 20 points higher on that clinician success scale. And at first I was thinking maybe that just ties to the fact that, uh, uh, I don't know, it felt sort of random of if you measured, you scored higher. But then if you think about it, those people that have measured twice, they seem to care. They have a focus. They have a measurement to work on. They're communicating out to their clinicians what they found before and what they're working on. So I think the fact that 
people that just focus on this can actually improve should give some optimism to folks that feel discouraged because I've run into lots of clinical leaders that just feel discouraged with where they are with with all the effort they put into having EMR adopted. So I could I could go on a lot more about that, but just love that if you focus on it, you can make a real improvement. And that's real dollars of doctors that aren't leaving, doctors that are staying. You don't have to replace, recruit, all of that. So so it's real dollars and real better care. So it seems like a win-win all around. Yes, it is. Just to speak a little bit more about, you know, reducing burnout and having a better retention. I was, if you can talk a little bit about the Arch Collaborative at class and that EHR optimization. No, it's a healthcare organizations that work together to revolutionize healthcare quality by improving the EHR experience. Yeah, absolutely. So we started this uh, six years ago where we thought, look, a lot of these people have an EHR, you know, they're not out to decide a new EHR to buy. But still, we found wide variation in terms of how well things were going. So we decided to actually measure, not just from the executive's perspective, but get down to the individual clinicians and get their feedback. And the spread is more than you would ever expect. So you know, a lot of folks are moving to Epic, and uh, you could have a great Epic experience or a challenging Epic experience. And that mostly depends on how the health system decides to implement the governance they have, how they personalize, how they train. And I will say that Epic, you know, sites that implement Epic score on average about 30 points higher than other EHRs. So there is valid data there of why someone might move, but then you could end up as one of the you know, most, most frustrated sites anyway. So when we started the Arch Collaborative, we thought it would help the vent, we'd be helping the vendors know how to build tools to help help the providers and that has happened we are working closely with the vendors to to know how to do that but most of it ties to governance personalization and training which all are owned by pretty much the health system so we've been helping uh with a collaborative there to learn from the very best and uh the funniest part to me is most of the ones who are the very best stumbled across something because they had to they were forced to do training in a new way because they were remote or they didn't have any money and some things have happened that are really creative to make progress there. And let me just add one more thing. I have had so many myths busted for me on this front, like things that I honestly thought were true. And let me just share one. <laughs> I really believed that the longer a physician was on the EMR, the better they got. Like there was just this natural osmosis of and, and usage that made you better. Well, we yeah. find that's true for a couple of years and then you plateau and then you actually get worse. And it's not so much that you've physically get worse, but that the new physicians coming in are getting that much better because they just got trained on the recent version. They've practiced on the new workflow. And then, uh, you know, the physician that's been there for five years looks and says, well, I don't know how to do any of that. So some pretty simple programs of not just assuming your physicians that have been there for five years will be fine, but really aggressively getting them some of the best practices, new ways to do workflows, new tricks and tools that vendors have put out seems really effective. And that usually is not an all-day Saturday training session. That's a, you know here a bit, there a bit in their team meetings, et cetera. So I've learned a lot of things that I, I used to believe were true and now I realize are not. And though it's it's a pleasure when you get to learn a new way to do something that's much better. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Adam, thank you. First of all, for joining Millennium Live, I, I I just have one final question for you. Yeah, and it, you know you, you've been uh, in the industry a long time, and you've seen it change. And I I like to end podcasts with kind of a you know words of wisdom or something about the future, and uh, you can pick. But you know what have you seen with the trends and what we've discussed today? 
healthcare, what what it's going to look like in a decade, in the next decade. You know, who knew in you know in 1996 what 2020 that there would be a huge pandemic and that would change the way healthcare was thought about in the U.S. What does another 20 years look like? What have you learned and, and, and what perhaps could we expect? I am excited about how convenient care is becoming and is going to be. Like you think about just virtual visits and how that was sort of forced upon us. And I know some of my doctors have gone back to non-virtual, meaning, hey, Adam, you just need to come in. That's that's just how we roll. But I've seen several organizations who are trying to break that mold and and think in a much more virtual, a much more, look, what's convenient for our patient kind of way with my iPhone, with tools at home, with medications that are delivered to my front door, all kinds of things will just be much more convenient. Mm, yeah. On the flip side of that, I think we have so much data. Um, and before I actually chuckled that uh, I felt like big data was a bad thing because when you're trying to find that needle in the haystack, like the haystack is just bigger and there's still just that one little needle. I think <laughs> I'm seeing solutions today that are better at using all of that data to help my doctor make a better decision or make a joint decision with me saying, hey, Adam, here are your two choices. Here's what the outcomes look like in both of these scenarios historically with other patients like you. And I just think with how much information on medicine is expanding so rapidly that having your physician become a superhero with that kind of data that I'm just personally excited about that kind of uh, approach versus I used to go into my doctor, I'm diabetic. So he would come hand me the same flyer that he would give me every time I came in, he would pinch a little bit on my belly and say, Hey, you could lose five pounds. <laughs> and then I would walk out. And I just thought that I'm not getting the best, the best medicine here in the universe. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm really optimistic about, about where this is going to be. And, and I hope you do interview me in 20 years and we can see if how much of this has actually happened. Yeah. I look forward to that. Thank you, uh, Adam so much for joining us again on the Millennium Live podcast. It's great to hear from you and and learn about you know what you're hearing from payers and providers right in the industry. Thank you to our listeners. Millennium Live, we do have a healthcare payers and providers transformation assembly coming up December 6th and 7th. That's in the Omni Frisco Hotel at the Star in Dallas. Adam, thanks for joining and we'll see you in 2024. Hey, sounds great. Thanks, Connor.